The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Dynamic Healing with two experts in chronic pain, David Hanscom and Les Aria. This podcast will show you how to unlock your body's ability to heal. Just breathe and learn how to rewire your brain and break free from chronic pain. Welcome to Dynamic Healing. I'm Les Aria. And I'm David Hanscom. And we're starting a series that will be going on for many months. It's something that has been extremely important in my practice, especially the last two years of my practice, and that's the family. And family defining as close relationships, sometimes just with colleagues, obviously with a partner, kids, families come in many different forms in this day and age. But we're starting a series called the Pain of Love series. And the overview of the series is that close relationships are what makes life truly enjoyable, yet they're also the source of the most powerful triggers. So this series is going to examine the interaction between close connections, triggers, and pain, and present ways to navigate them. So my last two years of practice, really, we realized that people could do really well, do the work, get better with their pain, and their families would pull them right back into the hole. Every, it was unbelievable. Probably the biggest factor in keeping people in pain was the family dynamics. Conversely, once you started to address those with a structure and systematically address it, is also the most powerful force pulling people out of pain. It was very inspiring. So today we're going to start an introductory um, one. And uh, Dr. Ari, you want to take it away? I'll, I guess I'll let you talk today. <laughs> yes. So today, uh, as David said, we're doing a, a series on pain of the love series. And today specifically, we want to talk about the need uh, for nurture. So humans evolved to the top of the food chain through language and cooperation, social connections. Um, and, and so we have that need to be socially connected. So that's, that's an important thing. And so we'll pursue it until we can't. So what we want to focus on today is the need for nurture and then to relate it back to family and pain. Let's start off with a quote, by the way. Here we go. The beginning of love is to let those we love to be perfectly themselves and not twist them into not twist them to fit our own image. Otherwise, we only love the reflection of ourselves we find in them. It's kind of a neat thing. And let's see, this individual is Thomas Merton. The beginning of love is to let those we love to be perfectly themselves and not to twist them to fit our own image. Otherwise, 
We love only the reflection of ourselves we find in them. Wow. That's a big one. Wow. <laughs> I, I've got I've to I've digest that. So we sometimes manipulate people, family members, relationships, and it's all about us trying to get our needs and trying to get someone to fit our mold. Wow. I wonder how many of our parents did that to us. Well, I mean, I I think honestly, I don't want to sound too cynical here. I mean, I came from a tough environment, so I'm sure there's nurturing families that exist. I honestly don't know that many, particularly my own. I mean, families tend to be chaotic, and it's just a human condition. None of us are bad people, but these. So your home is a very supposed to be the safest place, and one of the big questions we start asking ourselves is that: Do you feel safe in your own home? But the bigger question is, first of all, do you feel safe in your own mind? In other words, I think that the family mirrors your own peace of mind or not. And then the society reflects the dynamics within the family. So whatever peace is going to occur on this planet has to start in your own mind individually, has to be reflected in your home, then it can transfer into society. We tend to try and make these big societal change sort of to force the change. But if you're chaotic in your own mind, self-critical voice, et cetera, it gets projected to other people that are close to you. And then we tend to be critical. No, I mean, we're, we're, we're really programmed to be self-critical. Then it gets projected to people around us. And then life becomes, instead of being safe, becomes pretty chaotic. So I just want to start, and I'm not an anthropologist, and I'm just going to give full credit to um, the book Sapiens where he goes into the history of Homo sapiens starting 4 billion years ago. And he jumps about 3 billion years, but he does give a really interesting exposition of how humans develop. But the main point, which I have looked at multiple times, is that the human brain requires about 20 to 25% of its entire metabolic energy. In other words, its entire fuel supply is designed to run the brain. And so from a competitive physical survival standpoint, we are at the bottom of the food chain for millions and millions of years. So when we developed language about 100,000 years ago, we started to cooperate. And with that cooperation, we started to take out other living species. And it's a pretty sobering book because we have destroyed 90% of all species that have ever lived on this planet. And it started with the big animals first who couldn't escape us very well. And then, of course, it comes down to our own species destroying each other. It's a pretty brutal book. But anyway, the need for so cooperation is a survival mechanism. It's how we survived. And tribalism is a big deal, which is a different topic that we'll talk about later. But tribalism comes from an evolutionary process. As you band together as a tribe, you have a much better chance of surviving. Right. So we have a deep, deep, deep need for human connection. Yeah, David, let's let's pause there for a second. You know, that that makes such clear sense because when someone rejects us in our family, maybe we're a kid, maybe now um, we're married and maybe um, our, our kids reject us or our partner rejects us or our sibling rejects us. We have this evolutionary process built in, sort of a reflex, if you will, right? So the psychological perspective of that is, I feel, um, I always talk about the trifecta when um, when we feel really hurt by someone's relationship, when you feel rejected, betrayed, and or abandoned, rejected, betrayed, and or abandoned, I call it the trifecta. 
it really sort of stirs up our past. I'm sorry, what's the trifecta, what's the trifecta again? Trifecta, it's, it's these, these psychological variables, this output that we experience whenever we have some difficult relationships. Okay. Activate stress response. And as we tend to regress with right. psychological senses of wanting to fawn or please or get defensive, there are three of them. When, you, when we, one, whenever we feel rejected, betrayed, or and or abandoned. So think of a triangle. And whenever you feel rejected or um, dismissed by someone, it, you will feel the other um, flanking of those other variables. Think of a triangle poking your heart. And when you feel rejected or um, dismissed or abandoned by someone, well, you, you're feeling bad today. And they're like, listen here, take your medication. Why don't you take your Prozac? And they're dismissive of you. Like, what's the matter with you? They say something like that. Right. She's, right. What are you, an addict or something like that? And, <laughs> right. So they, 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 they throw these slinging words. I mean, when you feel um, rejected, we open up the gates psychologically the flooding of our past and we feel betrayed and abandoned and we all we feel all those programming things which goes back to what you said when we feel these psychological outputs it really stems from a working hypothesis is this that the reason safety in our family is important or nurturing is important is because it's a biological evolutionary process that if we were not with family in the caveman days the way our brain is we, were, we would not survive. So that makes sense that our most primitive parts of our brain have a lot of emotional encoding in service of protecting us. Right. And then, of course, it's interesting because, again, um, the book Sapiens points out that one of the basic punishments, severe punishments for not following the tribal mores was to be isolated. And sometimes they would physically put people into the woods to die, honestly, or they would just ostracize them from the tribe. And so they might be in the tribe, but ostracized. It was considered one of the worst form of punishments was being isolated. But here's what's perverse. The data now shows there's a Cygnus study published in 2018 of over 20,000 patients where they looked at the instance of social isolation in America. It was 53%. 53 percent so that means in the worst group the highest demographic were people in their 20s and early 30s and the effect of social isolation is so profound that it's considered to be it has profound effects on your health considered to be equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day people that are socially isolated have a fired up nervous system they have a fired up immune system they develop what's called these warrior monocytes, which attacks your own body. Monocytes are little white cells that, that attack bacteria and viruses, but these warrior monocytes actually attack your own tissue. So when you're socially isolated, people get sick. So people need, that's why, unfortunately, what you just pointed out, Les, what hit me hard is that you feel rejected, you have a deep need to be accepted, and she might even stay in an abusive relationship just trying to be accepted, 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 which creates a really unhealthy bond that's damaging to everybody. So that would explain that to some degree. I mean, why do you stay in a situation that's abusive? Because being by yourself is even worse, right? It is because I think it's it's getting clearer and clearer with, with all the ACE studies that has been done, the adverse childhood experience studies. Um, and also the initial one done, it speaks to the fact that 
we often talk about this psychological output of you know why nurturing is really important and comes back to um, one underlying common denominator. It's hard to actually feel loved and nurtured when there's no safety at home. And even in a long-term relationship- Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no, just even in a long-term relationship is, I asked this, uh, David, um, this might be a little bit tangent, but um, I just wanted to make a comment here. Whenever I ask my patients, um, you know, what's going on at home because they're not, they're, the pain is not getting better, they're getting more depressed or something, I just, there's a, there's a barrier there. And I often go after like, what, you know, is there a place that you do not feel safe in your life? And they kind of look at me as if it's um, a silly statement or question, but then we find out after they work with me, or like I said, or they work with you, David, they realize that the very people that's supposed to love and protect them, uh, whether it's a relationship or nurture them, is actually might be partly contributing to this. And they right. never admitted that in the beginning. And it's mind blowing to think about this. If you just kind of take a step back, if we came from an unsafe, as you said, you don't know what that is like to be nurtured growing up. I mean, right. it's amazing how kind and loving you are now because you've worked on yourself. I mean, significantly, right? And so imagine people who don't, didn't work on yourself, they end up sicker as they get older and older. Well, I have to say one thing. What we are going to try to do today is stay somewhat on track with the basic topic, but we have probably a couple dozen episodes coming up on this on these issues. But okay, you feel safe at home. Like you have food, you have friends, you have things you do that are interesting. You go into a good school, but also you have these unmeetable expectations from society and your parents. So all of a sudden, you come at home, you get a B. Why didn't you get an A? Or you got an A minus, why didn't you get an A? Why weren't you first in the track meet instead of third? So there is a drive for parents, I think, in this day and age, which is sort of one of the curses of abundance, is that we want people to perform at a level that we think is important. And it's not totally rational. But you come home, instead of feeling safe and accepted exactly for who you are, again, that quote, I'm just going to say this again. I think I agree. We have to digest this. The beginning of love is to let those that we love to be perfectly themselves. I don't care if you're a C student, F student, A student, it doesn't matter, and not twist them to fit our own image. Otherwise, we love only re the reflection of ourselves we find it, it find in them, Thomas Burton. So, you know, do we really love our friends and family like they are, exactly as they are? And I would suspect that most of the time we don't. I don't know, I'm not gonna give percentages or even guess at it. Yeah. I mean, that's not safety. Even if you're physically safe and all these different quote nurturing, the, my experience, I'm working with a lot of people in their late teens and 20s, I think when the essence of this recent deaths of despair are these kids not being able to meet the expectations of society, their friends and their family. So if you don't feel safe at home, where exactly do you feel safe? Wow, yeah, not safe within ourselves, not safe outside, not safe between. Right. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. 
Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So let's just go into, again, we're trying to stay on track. This is a whole different topic about these unmeetable expectations, which I think is hugely a huge problem right now. So um, here's what I find perverse about the human experience. Okay, so in nature, what are the rewards less for, for being vulnerable in nature? You get eaten alive, David. <laughs> yeah, what are my rewards for being vulnerable with Dr. Arya? <laughs> you get schooled every day. <laughs> so that's what's so perverse about life in general. There are no rewards in nature for being vulnerable. You don't survive another day. So by definition, the species that survive, including humans, are survival of the most anxious. Let's just use the word vulnerability and anxiety, the same thing. But yet it's at the center of human relationships is being vulnerable, right? But what makes it even worse, the research shows out of UCLA that emotional pain is experienced the same way as physical pain. And we say you hurt my feelings, unless you hurt my feelings all the time, by the way. <laughs> but when you when we say you hurt my feelings, it's the real deal. You did hurt my feelings. You felt rejected, et cetera. Bless just pointed out that when you're rejected, it hurts. And again, ostracized by your tribe or your people is a problem. I just had this I just had an episode with situation with my group or the topic we covered this week in group was ghosting, how people all of a sudden just cut you out of their lives, reject you for no obvious reason, and it's, it's painful. So we have the situation with the no words being vulnerable in nature, yet is it the center of successful human relationships? <clears throat> emotional pain is just as deadly as physical. So we don't want to hurt. So we avoid or we suppress emotional pain. But you can flip it around is that we instinctively know that emotional pain hurts it gives you power to be that person who inflicts the pain that's a huge again another topic so not only is it is so the so the way you cover up vulnerability by the way is anger and lashing out so as you're lashing out you actually don't feel the pain you're actually now inflicting the pain so in chronic pain when you're suffering you project that onto the world to yourself. You tend to blame people around you and you lash out. Well, that doesn't help your family feel safe. It doesn't help you. Well, you might feel safe for the second when you're angry or safer, but you want your home to be a place of safety and nurturing. Because the problem with chronic pain, as in all chronic diseases, mental and physical, is that fight or flight is necessary. So I'm going to stay alive today. No, I'm not going to touch a hot stove. I'm not going to stare at the sun. So I'm going to ward off threats. So we're in fight or flight every day. But we also want to be in safety as much as we can. So the home is a place we need nurture and safety to heal. It is often the least safe place that we have. So we have chronic pain in the midst of it. The home is chaotic. You're in chronic pain. Where do you go? 
And and that's exactly it. So we have when you when we are rejected, let's just keep that simple. Um, when we're not accepted, when you don't accept yourself, when someone outside of you, your fa family of origin doesn't accept you, you're an adult now, and they still don't accept you, including your siblings um, or friends. And think about that. If society doesn't accept you because maybe you have pain or some chronic maladies that you've been struggling with. David and audience, when we feel rejected, that destabilizes us to belong. And so when we, that destabilizes, meaning that we become so destabilized, we tend to go into a cave. And that cave is sometimes depression and disconnection. And because instead, and that's a form, just to let you know, and it sounds like it all rhymes, it's a form of protection. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a physiological response. Remember, I just want to go back initially. Also, we tie this into our overall theme of dynamic healing. Is it remember you have the input or your stresses? Then you have your nervous system that processes the signals, and then you have your physiology. So remember, unpleasant thoughts plus home circumstances are the threat, both physical and mental. So unpleasant thoughts, by the way, are the threat. Emotions are your physiology, it's what you feel. So when you're anxious and angry, those are physiological states, not psychological. They're a million times stronger than your conscious brain. So you might be asking, well, why are we talking about family relationships in the context of chronic pain? Well, again, when you're in a sustained threat physiology, that's where people get sick. Chronic stress, i.e. sustained stress physiology is how you get sick. So that's why it's so critical for your home to be the safest place ever because you can rest and regenerate, build up your reserves for the inevitable fight or flight. And so the dynamic healing, you're looking at the way you process stress, you're increasing the resiliency of your nervous system and your physiology, you're trying to regulate it from fight or flight down to safety. Altruism, giving back, being nice are actually all anti-inflammatory. Social connection is anti-inflammatory. So the home can be an incredibly powerful place or your circle of friends. I want to define also, keep in mind, a lot of people in chronic pain are living by themselves. We just said that 53% of people in America are socially isolated and actually recreating that circle of friends is healing because it changes your body's physiology. So this home, we're not just talking lightly about making the home safe and having a nice life. You actually need your home to be safe to heal. If your home's chaotic, it becomes very, very challenging to actually heal. Yeah, so that's the challenging part. I wanted to go back as you were speaking. One person popped in my head, David, and you know this person, Naomi Eisenberg, right? A researcher, a researcher who studied um, that emotional pain, social rejection, or just being rejected, actually. Um, creates same, uh, the brain circuitry, she, she's a researcher, and she showed with functional MRIs um, in real time that when someone rejects you, or when you feel rejected by a group, we tend to experience physical pain, which is both activated in the same network of the brain. So let me pause there. What the study shows is that emotional pain, there's not belonging, not feeling liked, loved, accepted, feeling abandoned, betrayed, rejected, whatever the word you want to use, when we don't feel like we belong, or we don't feel safe or connected, in that brain area, that emotional sensations that the brain register also activates the physical part. So the brain does not discriminate between emotional and physical. So heartaches, 
hence the word heartaches. When you have a love loss, so you don't feel, you feel lonely, it creates and if not amplifies and can maintain certain things in your body, such as physical pain. Well, yeah, it's pretty interesting because it's such a deep need. And that's why I'm just thinking out loud here, which I haven't really thought this thoughts before. And I could be totally off base, but it strikes me that you're in pain. You need a place to be safe. At the same time, when you're in pain, you're lashing out and creating a place. You're, you're part of creating that unsafe environment because you're in pain. You need nurturing. You try to demand it from your family. And so what happens often I'm just going to use the word bluntly. Not, for those of you in pain, you're not going to like this, but I'm also going to take it on myself, is that you become the bully. You feel entitled for pain relief. Nobody's giving it to you. You tend to lash out to people. And you can't really be suffering in pain and have peace, love, and joy. I get that. Yeah. But also remember, the mental pain is the same process that Les pointed out. So if you're in mental pain, it's the same thing. You're still lashing out. You're still demanding people treat you better, et cetera, et cetera. You can't demand love. Yeah. Can you? <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought you could. I, listen, listen, you could. Uh, you can definitely demand anything. The question is, right. will you receive it in the best way? The answer is not. There are many people, uh, as funny as that statement sounds, it's not funny because pe family members demand respect and love. And sometimes you, and so there's a great book called Mastery of Love by Don Miguel Ruiz. And I love what he says. That well, I'm sorry, what's the book, Les? called Mastery of Love okay, by Don Miguel Ruiz, the same dude that wrote, um, you know, the four agreements, and then he came, oh, out, with the right. three, he came out with the five, fifth agreement. Um, he, Don Miguel Ruiz in this book called Mastery of Love basically says, uh, he does it very beautifully. He basically says this, a lot of times, more than 50%, if you just take a look at this, we, we actually love out of fear and or obligation. So right. And he says that is not love. Can I can I give you an orthopedic summary of that? Oh Lordy. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. This isn't quite a lessism, but I mean we tend to become each other's bad habits. Yeah. You know, what I mean, we get used to certain patterns of behavior, it's familiar. <clears throat> so that, that familiar connection feels like love. If it is connection, by the way, it's just not a very healthy connection. And so we we become each other's bad habits, just by definition. And I'll never forget the first week in medical school in our human behavior class. One of the main points is that couples tend to gravitate toward each other's neuroses. I'm going, yes, what? yes, 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 yes. So, so at that point, it was, <clears throat> well, I'm, I'm not joking on this one. It's sort of a joke. But, you know, I had my own neuroses, but I wasn't neurotic. I was just David. And so I, I just didn't think that applied to me. And of course, my own marriage, which eventually fell apart. That was a huge factor. So again, behavioral patterns feed off each other. You can each you can help each other grow, or through mirror neurons, et cetera, you can take each other right down the drain. It goes both ways. Yeah. How's that for an orthopedic explanation of that's, that? That's, uh, that's pretty that's pretty effective. Um, and here's here's a um, one that you might enjoy from a psychological perspective. How about this? We gravitate towards things we're most familiar with. Right. But you also pointed out, it just hit me also, I hadn't thought about this, because we talk about people being in abusive relationships. Why do they stay? Why don't they go? And we tend, I will tell you, as physicians, we tend to label people, well, they're not, they're not strong enough to make the break. Mm -hmm. But as you pointed out, social isolation is worse than abuse in a way. It's the ultimate punishment in a way is social isolation. So, okay, you're in an abusive relationships. 
but at least you're, there's activity, your brain's being stimulated by something. And to be isolated is deadly. And so it's not, you can't be critical of the person for staying in an abusive relationship. They may not have the emotional energy to get out. The idea of being by themselves is terrifying. So that's why it's sort of a learned skill. I did remember a word, Dr. Aria, that she taught me a year ago about the word pendulation. Yes. You want to explain that word? Yeah, pendulation is, yeah, and, and to put it even simpler, if you don't like the word pendulation, it's, it means swinging back and forth, pleasant to unpleasant. And sometimes when we have an unpleasant sensation in our body, you can always find something pleasant in your body, such as your breath or another body part. And you want to kind of go back and forth. It's a way of slowly exposing and desensitizing, um, having a corrective sensory experience or having a corrective emotional experience. When things are flooding you inside your body, try shifting into your breath for a few breaths and then going back to where you feel this hurt, this rejection in your body. It's a nice way for you to say, right here, right now, I'm safe. I'm being flooded with memories, or maybe I just got activated by someone or triggered by someone's comments or an email or a text or uh, a lack of response. When you get activated, a great one to kind of learn to be peaceful with this. And this is difficult. Sometimes it just takes five seconds for you to do this. And some of you can do it for about a minute. But if you can just learn to experience and welcome the unwelcomed, and again, some of you may need some uh, trauma therapist to work with this. But for the most of us here, if you just, when you get triggered, if you can find that somewhere in your body, and once you locate the size, shape, and maybe even color of it, what's it feel like in your body, Instead of pushing it away, just kind of watch it and with your breath. So I call it witnessing with your breath and then kind of shift away from that sensation and focus maybe the breath in your nostrils or the rise and fall of your belly. And so in my take on that is <clears throat> on a given day, and I've actually, this has been a big thing for me. Everybody does the best they can with what they have on a given day. So if you can't tolerate being socially isolated, you can be critical of yourself but guess what? Be nice to yourself. And with pendulation, you learn to tolerate uncomfortable sensations. And at a certain point, we can tolerate the uncomfortable sensation. You start making a break for freedom. You can't just break out of behavioral patterns. They're too powerful. So one of the things we're going to talk about over the next few months is being nice to yourself. Because again, you're not even, you can't really create a nice family if you're, if you're not nice to yourself. And again, for those of you in pain, why you gotta, you have to accept your responsibility for creating the chaos in your household, because I can guarantee you that you are. If you're the person suffering in the household with a person in chronic pain, yeah. you got to take your responsibility for your role too. How are you enabling it? So the roles are complicated. The behavioral patterns are deep. We are not taking any part of this lightly. We may joke around a little bit, but to me, this is, is the essence of what we have in our society mirrors what happens in the home. And if we can learn to create peace at home, then maybe we have some chance of creating a peaceful world around us. So I'd like to finish off a little bit less um, in the next five minutes or so, just talk about, talk about triggers in general. We use the word triggers pretty quickly, but a lot of people may not know the meaning of that word. So I'm gonna start with you about the nature of a trigger and I'll discuss a little bit about the physiology of that. And um, that to me is the problem. It's not just the triggers are, Let's just discuss the word trigger. Dr. Aria, what is a trigger? A trigger can also known as activation is anything when you feel, and I'll give it simply with three behavioral cues, because no matter how we define it, 
it might be different for people, but in general, a trigger is when you notice a sudden mood shift in you. The trigger, you'll notice when there's tension, it shows up all of a sudden in your body and or a breath rate change when you're breathing, you're holding your breath. Triggers basically tend to be encoded in sensory and emotional and cognitive experiences. Long story short, triggers are anything that we've actually experienced that actually makes us feel unsafe for the most part. Right. And so we begin to find, so you have an activated threat response, activated threat physiology, adrenaline, cortisol, inflammation, increased fuel rate consumption. So you feel anxious. Again, humans have the word called anxiety, which we, again, it's a, just a physiological state, not psychological diagnosis. And so what happens at that point is that you're in fight or flight. The metabolic activity in blood supply goes from your neocortex or thinking centers into the midbrain. So as our friend D.R. Clausen points out, your brain goes offline. And it's the only way you can explain why we do things to our family and close friends that we would never do to strangers. And it makes no sense. We're going to talk about domestic abuse in another um, episode. But when you're in that situation and you're anxious, you are not in the present moment. You've lost awareness by definition because you're in the past, not the present. Mm-hmm. And so you end up losing awareness, which is the essence of relationships. Then if you're in chronic pain and trapped, you've just lost awareness almost completely. Yeah. I mean, and there's understandably so. I'm not trying to minimize the impact of chronic pain because the impact of chronic pain on a person's life has been shown to be equivalent to having terminal cancer. It's a big deal. So awareness, which is at the core of health relationship, is by definition lost when you're anxious and anger is really going offline. So your brain's offline. You are, you are not who you are. So chronic pain slash anger, anxiety, is destructive. It's supposed to be. It's about your survival. It's not about your family's survival. So let's just touch on the solutions just a little bit because we'll talk about the solutions a lot going forward. We just want to really explore the nature of how powerful the family is in creating chaos, lack of safety, where to really heal, you have to find a place of safety. And maybe you can't do it at home. But I will, our experience has been that we, when you're the person in pain, that you're legitimate, again, very legitimate anger and frustration by being trapped in pain. It's very legitimate. I don't want to minimize that at all. The energy comes into the household. So we're, instead of going home and feeling nurtured and safe, you feel the opposite. And then your family feels the opposite. And so with 100 million million people in the United States in chronic pain, the ripple effect of anger and pain in the household is just brutal. It really is. And and I'm I'm glad that we're, this is a tough topic, David, and with the series with family and love. And um, today we've been talking about the need for nurture. We all need to have a biological need for safety and more so perhaps also to feel psychologically safe within ourselves. And as we come to a close here, uh, David and audience, that my, my, my parting message is this, if you do not have someone that you're gonna be feeling safe and fun and connected with, mm-hmm. I like what David said, and I'm thinking about it as I'm reflecting as we leave this um, episode today is, I like David's parting words, be nice to yourself. Start there, start at home with yourself. Thank you, it's a big topic and I agree. We're excited about it and also very sobered by it because we think this is a huge topic and we're 
anxious to share insights. Um, and uh, we look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks. Thank you, Dr. Arya. Thank you, audience. Catch you guys later. David and Les would love to hear from you about today's podcast and any ideas for future topics. You can email them at david-les at dynamichealingpodcast.com. That's david-les at dynamichealingpodcast.com. Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on The Angel Tarot Show, exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.